Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I am the Bill Arnold part of that short sentence. I'm so glad that uh, we're going to have this hour together. Lori Pollitt Short's going to be joining me in just a minute, and then Dr. Russell Moore will be with me as well in this hour. So it's going to be a great hour. Uh, special thanks to uh, Dr. Greg uh, Borgon, who was uh, just in studio talking about heaven. That's a topic I could chew on some more. It's a, a really exciting topic with a lot of... Um, a lot of what ifs. What is it going to be like? And uh, it's exciting to talk about. Um, Proverbs fifteen thirteen. I love this verse. A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. So I'm, I'm hoping and praying today that you've got that that uh, cheerful face today. And I pray that you're not suffering from some heartache and you've got a crushed spirit. And I hope you get a little bit of that happy face when you come to the show here. So that's one of the prayers I have for you every day, because um, I know the, the heart is where you're going to always store your most important and sacred things. So I hope that's a joyful, happy place today. Uh, my guest, uh, Lori Short, has, uh, in the last three years, I think she's written about three books, uh, Finding Faith in the Dark, When Changing Nothing Changes Everything, and 40 Verses to Ignite Your Faith. She's worked and spoken with youth specialties, for many, many years and has uh, loved uh, reaching out to kids and uh, being available as a speaker and communicator. She's good at both. Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill. It's great to be here. Nice to have you back on the program. Yeah. You're you're in Southern California, aren't you? I am. Okay. I am in California. Yeah. 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 So did I get this right? Did you turn um, your um, 40 verses to ignite your faith into a video series or... Yes, I I actually have a couple of video series from it because there's so much richness in this text and they're available on Right Now Media. So a lot of people subscribe there and can access them for free. Yeah, I really uh, enjoyed your 40 Verses to Ignite Your Faith book. Um, And it's, uh, you know, surprising insights from unexpected passages. And I do want to talk about a couple of those today just because they're so... uh, entertaining and interesting, and you've done such a nice job of doing the research on them. How about throwing out one or two out of that book? Sure. Well, I particularly finished a series on the topic of fear, waiting, and hope, something that I think is pretty relevant to everybody in the world. Got that right. And and so I picked out some of the verses from the book and, and especially the passages around the verses, because I always take them in context, because I think we learn so much spiritual wisdom from these little places in Scripture that we don't always look. So um, just in terms of fear and waiting and hope, I mean, obviously the waiting issue for all of us right now, I think, you know, we think we're done and then we're not done, (laughs) which is one of the things. Uh, that we often feel about other things in our life that maybe we've been waiting a long time and we get to the point where we tell God that we're done, but apparently we're not because it keeps going past that point. And so I think we can get some 
great wisdom, for instance, from that tiny little verse um, in Genesis 41, 1, where Joseph, it, it's just, a, it's sort of one of those sidebar verses that says, and for two years, Joseph was in prison. <laughs> you know? And we kind of skip over that and go to the next thing where, you know, finally the Pharaoh uh it has a dream, and then the cupbearer remembers being in jail. And but w- w- what I invite the reader to do is just hover over that one little verse, you yeah. know, for two years, because yeah. it was two years prior to that that the cupbearer was in jail with the baker, and they have these dreams, and Joseph interprets them. And so I can, I'm just putting myself in his mindset, thinking, okay, it's only a matter of time now that I'm going to get out because the cupbearer is going to get restored. He'll be in Pharaoh's palace. And of course, even Joseph says, remember me when you get out of jail. And, you know, he probably had a lot of hope for the first couple months, even up to six months, but I'm sure after a year, he knew he had been forgotten. And that is actually what scripture says. He was forgotten, but the cupbearer remembers at just the right time. And I think that's, the insight from this passage is that all the things that happened to Joseph in his crazy journey of having that dream when he was young and a little bit cocky and telling his brothers how great he was going to be. And then he ends up a slave and then he ends up a prisoner. And I'm sure he was going, wait, this, this isn't the dream I had, God, what, where are we going here? And yet all of that time was so used in his life to not only build his character to make him the leader that he became, but also God was working in the circumstances around Joseph so that by the time Pharaoh did have that dream, he could not only get released from prison and become second to Pharaoh, but he also, because of his insight into dreams, was able to provide food for the next seven years for all the people that were in a famine. So I think another insight from that passage is that a lot of what happens to us is going to impact a lot more people than just us. And so sometimes we are waiting for a variety of reasons. It's going to impact other people in our lives. And so that's just one little example of, um, I think, a scripture that right now we feel like we're in a long wait, like what in the world? And here we go again. And now, you know, the cases of COVID are spiking. And mm-hmm. are we are we going to go back into quarantine? <laughs> I mean, what's going to happen? And we can't do this, Lord. You know, I just think we're all crying out saying we're done. And so at that point, we have to trust that there's a bigger story happening around us. That's really a, a good find, Lori, because I'm looking at Genesis 41, and you kind of almost blow past that first line when two full years had passed because you want to get to the meat. And exactly. you go, well, wait a minute, I, two full years have just passed. Exactly. I mean, I think we do that in Scripture all the time because we're we're reading. It's like reading a book or watching a play or a movie. You know, you move from one scene to the next. You're not living in actual time when it happens. And so you're, you know, it's one incidental little sentence and then you move on to the action. So you don't, I mean, you're reading it all in three chapters, but just as living it in years and years. And I think that's what we have to realize when we come to scripture and go, why isn't this happening in my life? Look at these people. They experience such amazing things. Well, you're seeing sound bites of their life, but there was a lot of in-between stuff that happened in their real time. Mm-hmm. 
That's a great reminder. Um, so I appreciate that. So let's talk more about fear and hope, because those are, are certainly words that are coming up way more often than, than usual lately. Yes, yes. Well, a couple of insights on fear. I think um, Moses in Exodus 3, of course, um, when he's called by the burning bush, God behind the burning bush, who calls him. And, uh, and he's, I can only imagine, you know, he's so excited when God's saying, I've remembered my people. And, and then all of a sudden he goes, now go, you're going to be the one. Uh, but the verse I particularly pick out in 40 verses is that Moses asks for a sign. He says, okay, well, how will I know, you know, that you're with me? And, uh, and God answers him by saying, you will get your sign when you worship me on the mountain after you've come out of Egypt. In other words, Moses, you're going to get your sign looking back on what I did. And I don't know about you, but I always thought signs were happened before you were supposed to do <laughs> I thought so, too. After, like, Show me the okay, sign God, first, and then I'll move. Exactly. I mean, I think that's a little too late, Lord, but God, yeah. you know, that whole passage, if you read the dialogue, he's going, Moses, I'm going to be with you every step of the way, and you won't know that until you get there, but when you get there, I'm going to still, I'm going to be with you. I am, you know, I'm in the present. I'm going to be with you. And Moses is going to have to experience that. God's not going to be able to give him that assurance before. And so kind of the insight about fear there is that sometimes God doesn't take our fear away. Like sometimes we think, oh, well, if this is right in my life, then I, I shouldn't be afraid of it. But that's not necessarily true. I think what God invites us to do is just take our fear with us and move and go and Along the way, the way you're going to deal with your fear, the way your fear is going to subside is through experience. Like you will actually, you know, I think about in my own life, I had a really tremendous fear of speaking, believe it or not, which is what I ended up doing in my life. And the only way that that got resolved in my life was actually having experience, going out there, going, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just going. Mm -hmm. I'm going to trust God. Yeah. You know? And then the more experience you have of doing that, you then can trust God and go, okay, well, I'm not as afraid anymore because I know God is going to be faithful once I get there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what was going on with, with Moses. And I, to me, that's a great insight because I think sometimes we get so freaked out by fear, and that's how it grows in our life because we go, well, I, I shouldn't do that because I'm afraid to do that. And maybe God's actually inviting you to do that to make your fear smaller about that particular thing. So that's, you know, one of the insights. Um, another one that I look at is Numbers 11. That's one of my favorite stories with the spies uh, when they are sent in to look at the promised land. And, um, and they, weren't, they weren't sent in to decide whether they were supposed to go in to the promised land. They were sent in to just simply make observations about the land and come back and report to the rest of the people. And if you look in that passage, um, what happens to the spies, they start describing uh, what's there. And they have like one sentence that says, well, everything is just the way God said it would be. But the giants are gigantic. We look like <laughs> grasshoppers in their eyes. And, you know, you just see 
as they're talking, this I mean, it's almost cartoonish what mm-hmm. they're describing. And that is what happens to us when we just build the fear part up instead of the faith part. That we were, you know, instead of focusing on the fact that, no, 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 God has said we can do this. God has called us to this task. It doesn't matter what's there. He's going to take us through it. We just start building up the fear and all the reasons why we shouldn't go. And so that is the real insight, I think, in that passage. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, the sign, because a lot of the times when you're starting something, you want to sign a confirmation that it's the right thing to do. But really, most of the signs that we get, we sometimes see in our rearview mirror. That's right. That's right. I mean, that's a lot of times how God works, because it's it's not really a, a mystic. God is not a mystic or, right. you know, that you go see. <laughs> we have some of those stands in, uh, where I live, you know, where you can go and get your palm read or this or that. I mean, God doesn't want us to know the future because he, he wants to be with us as we experience the future. He wants to experience our life with us as the great I am. I mm-hmm. am with you. And I think that that's why we—I mean, you know, sometimes we get a sign. Actually, Gideon asked for a sign, if you remember the, sure the do. police. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's funny because no matter how—and I heard this once, and I thought this was such great insight— no matter how many signs you get, you always want another one. Like, it's not good enough. Like, and, and that's what you just watch this dialogue with Gideon and God, you know. Well, wait a minute. Maybe if it's, if it's wet, you know. If, well, how about if it's dry, you know. I mean, he just keeps going, well, yeah. what about this? What about that? And, okay. and I think what God knows that we're not satisfied by signs. Signs will never give us faith. Great point, God Lori. Faith. So. Yeah. Let me take a little break. Lori Pollard Short is my guest, and we'll be right back. Back to the show. So glad to have Lori Pollard Short as my guest. She's uh, written a number of books. The one uh, I am t- chatting about with her right now is called 40 uh, Verses to Ignite Your Faith Surprising Insights from Unexpected Places. And I l- would love for you, Lori, to talk about um, seeing our life in context. That comes out of Job 42. Oh, I love the book of Job. Gosh, I can't, I, I can't get out of that book sometimes. Hmm. But, um, you know, I think what the book of Job shows us, it's interesting because that's where we all go when we're suffering. Like, oh, everybody knows Job is the book you go to. But Job never gets the answer to his question why he suffers. Never. The whole book. Um, He has a lot of advisors, people that have a lot of the right churchy answers for him. But in the end, what God does, and this is the insight that I pick out from the last chapter of Job is that he puts his arm around Job and essentially gives him a world tour. And, you know, he just kind of shows the whole world, like what's happening right now while Job is breathing and sitting there. And he is so overwhelmed by that, that it in a weird way heals him of his need 
to know why he suffers because he realizes that he is one tiny part of a huge story that's happening. And that's partly what I was saying the first part of the show is that um, sometimes what we're going through impacts a lot more people than us. And because this life is only part of the eternal story, you know, we're all here for a purpose. And presumably, if we're if we know God and we're wanting to live out his purpose in our life, we're, we know we're here for other people. We know that, you know, God is using us to touch other people. And so part of what puts our suffering in context, which I think we all suffer at various degrees, but to realize that God is going to use it in ways that we can't even imagine. And I always like to kind of pull back from Job and go, little does he know that his story was used in such amazing ways for years and years and years to come. Um, his story of being such a good guy and having to go through so much and how many people take comfort knowing that their suffering isn't necessarily because God is punishing them, but could be for another reason altogether. And so I, I just think there's a lot of great insights in that, um, in that book, but they're different than what you think that they should be. You know, you don't get like ABC, this is why you suffer. Mm -hmm. It's, you have to look kind of at the story of what happened to him, but clearly he goes through a huge change because he's just questioning the whole book. Why? I'm not going to, you know, I will not be satisfied until I have an audience with God. And then by the end, he's like, I repent in dust and ashes. You know, now that I've seen how big you are, now that I've seen how great you are. And what I also love about that is that God actually has Job pray for his friends. Like, you know, here's Job, just diseased and tattered and, you know, a mess. And he's the guy that needs to stand in the gap for these three know-it-alls that had all the right churchy answers. It's like, actually, Job had it more right than you guys. So I'm going to have him pray for you, you know. And I, I just love the things that we learn about God and about suffering in, in the in-between of just looking at some of those places in that book. Mm, that's I love that. So— Let's talk a little bit about this great passage in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So let's yes. talk about the, the greater, trusting the greater plan. Yes, you know, Bill, that has been my theme verse for all of COVID because um, I just think there is so much insight here. And I use this verse in, in uh, the video series on hope as well, because Paul is in prison and he is noting uh, as he's writing, he's noting the fact that because he's in prison, other people are speaking on his behalf. So that's why he says this, you know, I just want you to know what's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Like you don't have to worry. Other people are speaking on my behalf. So the gospel is still spreading. But you just pull back from that a minute and you go, okay, so Paul looked around his jail cell and said, well, I can't go out and visit those churches, so I'm just going to write letters. I'm going to write letters. I'm going to encourage them. That's all I can do right now. So I'm going to just do what I can do. And what Paul could not have possibly seen is what God was going to do with those letters, that those letters make up half the New Testament. So when Paul ironically says, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel, he had no idea how prophetic those words were that, in other words, 
my prison sentence is going to advance the gospel beyond my belief because it's going to my these letters that I'm writing are going to have such a much bigger impact in reaching people for Jesus than anything I could have done in my lifetime as far as visiting churches because it became part of the word of God. And it has been, you know, just you think about how much his words have touched people and changed people and brought people to Christ. So I just think, you know, just thinking about COVID, we don't know why we've been so limited. We don't know why we've been home, why we've only been able to be around our neighbors, why some of us have lost jobs, income. We don't know why all those things have happened, but a lot of us have discovered things about ourselves and our immediate worlds that we never would have mm-hmm. had had this happen. And we don't know how God is using, for instance, the internet in churches. Like how many more people do you think are being reached now than when we were all in our churches? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to think about, like, what is God doing? It's probably something so much bigger than we could even imagine, mm-hmm. you know? So anyway, what if somebody asked you this question, Lori, how can I have confidence that God is near me when my experience feels or when my experience is that that God is far away? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge question. And I I feel that, too. Um, You know, I always just encourage people that the story is longer and bigger than you think. Um, The story is probably longer and that you sometimes have to wait through those feeling times when you just do not see God anywhere. As something devastating has happened, you have a diagnosis, you have a broken relationship, you have whatever it is that you are dealing with, and you just do not know where God is or what he is doing. Um, you just have to hold on sometimes because he will show up, and it will probably be in a way you can't even imagine but it will happen. But I think sometimes we don't wait long enough. We just go, you know what? He's not showing up for me right this second in the way that I want him to. So mm-hmm. yeah, he must be God. But, you know, he's not Santa Claus God. He's living God. Mm-hmm. And the Santa Claus God is the God that does everything you want at your beck and call. And at some point, you have to make that shift to the living God who is alive and has plans that are beyond yours and different than yours? And are you going to follow him? Or are you going to just recruit gods to follow you? And that is really the big question that you have, you know, and it's always a, it's a season like what you just talked about that causes us to make that transition one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Lori, thanks for taking the time to do the show today. It's uh, nice to talk to you and I appreciate the insight to the 40 verses to ignite your faith. I, um, it's a great book. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. Great yep. to be with you. Yep. Again, my guest has been Lori Short. Her book is called 40 Verses to Ignite Your Faith, Surprising Insights from Unexpected Passages. We'll take a little break, but when we come back, Dr. Russell Moore will be joining me. Be back in a minute.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. I'm so glad to have an opportunity to talk to Dr. Russell Moore. He's president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He uh, is, the Wall Street Journal called him vigorous, cheerful, and fiercely artic- articulate. I might use that for my own bio. I like that. So, uh, Russell, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Congratulations on your new book, The Courage to Stand, Facing Your Fear Without Losing Your Soul. What a great title. Thank you. Yeah. So I would love to uh, start digging into this. I mean, the, uh, the, when I look, look through the, the table of contents, I, I want to read every chapter more than once. Let's, <laughs> let's start with courage and crisis. What are you doing here? What a great way to start. Well, I, I really uh, feel as though every uh, Christian is going to face those, those moments of crisis. And, and sometimes they don't feel like crisis in the way that we think of a, a, a huge uh, problem that's facing us, but just those turning points that could go one way or the other. And I think that we're constantly facing uh, those. And so in the book, I, I talked about uh, probably the most significant crisis of my own life, which was a spiritual crisis as a 15-year-old kid, where I started to wonder, uh, what if Christianity is just a means to an end? What if it's really just a a political uh, sort of a thing or uh, a way to to get people enculturated into into behaving correctly? And that really threw me into um, a time of, of deep darkness. And thankfully, uh, I had read C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia so many times as a, as a young child that I recognized the name on the spine of mere Christianity in, in the bookstore and took it home. And that's really what the Lord used to bring me through that crisis, not because of the arguments, although the arguments are, are sound, um, but that's not what my problem was. My problem wasn't intellectual. My problem was a problem of, of courage. I was really afraid. Hmm. And um, C.S. Lewis just seemed to be talking in that book in a way that he wasn't trying to sell me anything. He was really bearing witness to something that he knew to be true. And that was exactly what I needed at that moment. Russell, I found it interesting when this little 15-year-old mind is asking the question, what if Jesus is the problem and not the answer. Yeah. Well, and and the I knew uh, Jesus and loved Jesus, and so it's it, my um, my mentality was sort of uh, similar to uh, the Russian uh, novelist uh, Dostoevsky when he said in a letter, "If I have to choose between Christ and the truth, I choose Christ." Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I had the same sort of, of reaction, although I didn't, I wouldn't have worded it that way. Um, but I needed to know that Christ was the truth. And, um, and in that sort of moment, there really, uh, there really weren't many people that I could talk to about that. And as I've, as I've sort of gone through life ever since, I've encountered a lot of people who've had that moment where they, they start to wonder, is Christianity really just a means to an end, mm-hmm. some, any end? 
And when that's the case, um, the, the result is a looking at the universe that really is terrifying. If, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then we have every reason to be panicked by what we see uh, uh, in the universe around us. Yeah, amen. And you talk also a little bit about your experience visiting uh, your uncle. Um, and I thought that was interesting because, you know, there's usually trauma of some kind associated with people that have um, antagonism towards spirituality, toward God. If you talk about Jesus and they say, hmm, nah, I've had some bad experiences. And um, your experience with your, yeah. uh, was it your uncle who was a pastor? Yes. Talking about yes. the demons and yeah. reading net, uh, bedtime stories that were pretty troubling for a little kid. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we were reading through Edgar Allan Poe. I know. That was uh, shocking and, to me. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, simultaneously, um, simultaneously, he was saying something that was completely true, uh, I think, in light of Ephesians 6, which is that uh, the devil is uh, not so much at work in those places that we would think of as being uh, sinful and, and dangerous as much as he is in those places where God is the most at work, because that's where you have uh, spiritual warfare and opposition mm -hmm. to the good things that God is doing. And so he, he, he used uh, the illustration of the church uh, next door to his home and saying, can you just imagine how many uh, demons and devils are in that church on a Saturday night. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was that became a problem when he asked me to go over to the church and get um, a cake plate that his wife had left at the back yeah. of the uh, at the back of the church. And I had to walk through it. Yeah, no, uh, in the you. dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. Was, uh, but, but what I sort of realized by that is is what my inclination was which was to get myself together and to pretend when I walked back in the door that I was not scared uh, at all. Love it. And I think that that's a tendency that I've seen in my own life and in the lives of others ever since. Mm -hmm. A couple of the words, Russell, that I've been hearing more than ever lately is the word anxiety and the word fear. Those two have come up more than ever in the last 10 months. And we need to have confidence uh, through fear and uh, courage through this time of anxiety. Maybe you'd speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, people are experiencing a great deal of anxiety, largely because um, we can't really predict. I mean, I think I think we're all sort of accustomed to planning out our week or our year uh, to come. And this year of pandemic and everything else has thrown all of those plans uh, into <laughs> into disarray. I mean, just imagine going back in a time machine to New Year's Eve of 2019 and just showing pictures of what uh, life would look like right now, and, and we wouldn't have even been able to comprehend it. But I think the answer for this is not to find a way not to face fear. I think the answer is to face fear as those who are in Christ, which means to, to look for what God is saying to us uh, in the midst of fear. Mm -hmm. So if you think about, uh, sometimes people will rightly say that the Bible commands over and over again, do not be afraid. And that's true. But in almost every case, the do not be afraid comes after someone is experiencing an initial uh, fear. And if that fear can lead to a sense of dependence and a crying out uh, to God, then God 
God does remarkable things with that kind of uh, response to fear. Mm-hmm. And I love the word courage, and I think it's uh, a word we should be bringing up more more often in our daily conversation. And I love the fact that uh, it's the title of your book, The Courage to Stand Facing Your Fear Without Losing Your Soul. I love that. Um, so maybe we can uh, talk a little bit about um, how we can gain some f- freedom um, and some courage when we've got some shame in our life. Yeah, I think that uh, many people are, are fearful because uh, they feel shame. And I think there are a lot of people who I, I hear from people all the time who experience some sort of imposter syndrome where they say, if people actually knew what was going on inside of me, they would know that I'm really a wreck. And, and everybody <laughs> is uh, is thinking that. And I think that the way to get around that in Scripture is to understand our standing before God. And I think that's part of the problem. One of the reasons why we're so uh, often enslaved to fear is because we start to assume if things are going well in my life or if things are predictable and stable and on the upward ascent in my life, then that means God is happy with me. And if I'm facing uncertainties and dangers and toils and snares, uh, and snares, as the old hymn says, then that means that God is angry with me. Uh, instead of seeing the fact that we have already, if we're in Christ, we have already been through the worst thing that could happen to us. We have, we have been to the cross in Christ. We've been crucified. And in him, we are raised from the dead, which means that if we're in Christ, God is delighting uh, over us, and God is not surprised uh, by any of our, our frailties or, or whatever it is that we're trying to hide. And so I think that that's, if you think about that uh, image in Genesis 3 of Adam and Eve uh, after the fall hiding in the vegetation, and God is calling them out uh, of that and creating for them uh, uh, skins of of, um, of uh, of, of animal mm-hmm. hide. Well, that's the case for all of us as well. And he's calling us out of hiding into the light. Now, Russell, I love the image of God delighting in us. I think there's a lot of uh, people that assign some image to God, like he's an angry boss or he's a disappointed father or he is aloof. And really the truth is God is delighting in us, which is something we should be celebrating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think sometimes Sometimes uh, we have a tendency to think of God uh, the way that Jesus's parable of the prodigal son, the son initially thinks of his father when he's on his way back home, which is if I just go home and work, I can be like one of my father's hired servants. Yeah. And I think many of us sort of have that mentality that, that we're trying to uh, appease God or so that God's not uh, disappointed with us rather than seeing ourselves in Christ, which gives us the freedom uh, then to actually serve. Mm-hmm. That's a great uh, reminder of that parable that the, the prodigal son going back to work to be acceptable to his father. That was his mindset. That's interesting. I really like that. Um, I think uh, the, the whole idea of us uh, not remembering who we are in Christ, how God delights in us, how if we abide in him, um, we are we are just his his precious children. If we don't think about that, I think we have a tendency of drifting into fear and anxiety. 
and yeah, I think it's a practice, a discipline. Um, how do you instruct your five sons to be mindful of that every day? Well, part of it uh, comes down to recognizing uh, what one's place of vulnerability is. So uh, a lack of courage can show up in different ways in different people. For some people, it looks like timidity and sort of a withdrawal. Uh, and for other people, though, it can look like uh, being quarrelsome and constantly in the middle of some fight or controversy mm -hmm. a as a way of protecting oneself. Uh, and so both of those two things uh, are on the on on each side of courage and both aspects of artists. And so I think we have to uh, we have to sort of the way that the Bible does to Timothy uh, stand up and and fight the good fight of faith. Don't give up. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, and yet to others, uh, stop with the quarrelsomeness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> stop with the unhealthy <laughs> craving for controversy. Oh, and there's plenty of that out there, isn't there? Yes, there is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me take a quick break. Dr. Russell Moore is my guest. His book is called The Courage to Stand, Facing Your Fear Without Losing Your Soul. We'll take a little break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Moore. Dr. Russell Moore, always nice to talk to him. He's got a brand new book out called The Courage to Stand, Facing Your Fear Without Losing Your Soul. And I love that every chapter starts with the word courage. Um, can't get enough of that nowadays. So, uh, Russell, I want to talk about uh, courage and integrity, wholeness through brokenness. I'd love for you to talk about that. Yeah, I think there's a, a, a tendency for us in, in the culture in which we live uh, to want to project an image uh, and an image of always uh, winning and always uh, displaying uh, in a way that really isn't the way that the Bible uh, speaks about integrity. We're, we're being held together uh, in Christ, which means that um, we, we recognize the fact that, that we're not going to be living a life where we have uh, constant tranquility. And I think there are a lot of Christians who think that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm always impressed by uh, a young man who came to see me one time, and he said, I'm just, uh, I'm just convinced that I'm going to hell. And I said, why? And I started asking him about his uh, life in Christ, and this was somebody who uh, seemed in every way to be a faithful believer in Christ to me, and I said, why? And he said, well, it's because I am always fighting inside to keep myself uh, from wrecking my life. Wow. And I said, um, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, the problem was he uh, believed that the normal Christian life is a life where everyone is just sort of placidly uh, humming hymns to themselves inside, rather than seeing that uh, what he was experiencing in this kind of uh, struggle was not an evidence that the Holy Spirit was not there. It was evidence that the Holy Spirit is there. And that's what the Holy Spirit does, is to uh, cause us to repent of sin, to cause us to, to fight against that pull toward uh, our flesh, and to cry out in dependence upon God. That's how we're held together. 
And, and I think it's easy to miss that in this in this time. It's such an honest comment he made, Russell. But isn't that really your comment is so wise? It's the, kind of all of us at some point, isn't it? Feeling a little messy. It really is. It, and he said, uh, I remember he said to me, you know, I'm going to try to explain to you what I mean. If you could prove to me that the bones of Jesus are still in the grave in Jerusalem, he said, I would go out of here and get as drunk as I could possibly get and take every drug that I could find. And I said, me too. <laughs> as a matter of fact, the Bible says that's exactly what we ought to do. Eat, drink, and be merry, for yeah. tomorrow we shall die. But yeah. Do you think the bones of Jesus are in the ground in the Middle East? And he said, no, I believe that God's raised him from the dead. And that's why I'm uh, in this uh, in this constant skirmish and struggle. And I said, yeah, and let's rejoice because that's the normal Christian life. That's what it looks like. Yeah, that's it's it's uh, it, it's a beautiful testimony uh, when people come and just they're so uh, vulnerable because vulnerability is a sign of courage, isn't it? Yes. And, and that was uh, one of the things, one of the reasons I wrote the book is spending time um, in the Bible in First and Second Kings with the prophet Elijah. Um, and I realized that I had almost like you can uh, know someone and have one sort of image that comes to mind of that person until you spend a lot of time with them and you really get to know them and, and your, your image changes. And that was the case with Elijah, because it used to be that when I would think of Elijah, the first thing that I would think of is uh, that contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel when mm -hmm. he's calling down fire from heaven. And he's, he's just vindicated in front of everybody. You are a man of God. Uh, but what I came to realize is that was an important part of his life, but that wasn't the hinge moment. The, the hinge moment in his life came after that when he went out into the wilderness and he's saying to God, I, I'm, I'm just uh, at the point of everything that I'm doing is for, for no uh, purpose. That's when God really prims uh, uh, this prophet. And I think what he's doing is exactly what he does with every single one of us, getting him ready uh, to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, as he does uh, later on in the biblical story at the Transfiguration. We have to learn how to carry that cross in order to recognize it. Mm -hmm. Russell, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about uh, power that we have through our weakness. I know that's um, a concept that some struggle with, and I'd love for you to um, put it to rest once and for all. <laughs> yeah, I think we struggle with it even though uh, even though most of us, if we've if we spent any time with the Bible, we know that the Scripture says that God's power is found in weakness. But I think when we're actually at our moments of of weakness, we tend to forget that, mm -hmm. or, or we tend to think of it in in different ways. And I I remember uh, I was really struck one time when I was serving in a local church, and on a Wednesday night uh, Bible study, I would take prayer requests uh, from people. And there was a woman who came up to me, um, and she afterward, and she whispered, uh, our daughter has gone away to college, and she's an atheist, and will you pray for her? And I said, yes, but why are we whispering? And mm -hmm. she said, well, I don't want everybody to start thinking, you know, what did they do that their daughter is an atheist? And I said, you know, 
Every single family in the Bible has a prodigal. Every one. There's not an exception to that at all. And uh, and and I think, but I saw in her a tendency that I have in myself as well, which is to protect myself by just projecting this sort of image. Uh, everything's okay. I'm in control. Uh, everything is going the way that I want it to go. But that's not what life uh, together in Christ is about. Uh, it, it's really about that sense of dependence uh, where we come to the end of ourselves, and that's where we actually see the power of God. Mm. And that's one of the reasons I think why in everybody, in every Christian, if you just think about it and you go back in your own life, and say, where were those moments when God really made himself known to me in a new way and was very close to me? Uh, it's probably not those moments of triumph that, that you're posting on Facebook or, or Instagram. It's probably in moments that at the time uh, were very, very weak and vulnerable for you. Mm-hmm. Can you answer that question, or is that too personal, and would I be putting you on the spot when God made himself known to you in a new way? Well, uh, there are uh, several times in my life. One of those times was when um, my wife and I went through a period of, a long period of infertility and miscarriages, and I really started to realize how entitled I I. I, I was inside mm, wow. of just assuming, well, if you do all things right, uh, then God's going to bless you in this predictable sort of way. And I had to learn uh, how to how to pray and not to be able to see what my future was. And that was one of those moments where, where God um, not only uh, ministered uh, to me spiritually, but also brought people into my life uh, to minister to me in ways that I wouldn't have known otherwise. Hmm. Russell, I, I um, mentioned earlier that you have five sons. Are they all your biological boys? Uh, we adopted our first two sons uh, from awesome. a Russian orphanage. Awesome. Uh, and both of them uh, graduated high school uh, this year. Uh, and then uh, the other three came along the more typical way. That's <laughs> and so they, they range from 19 to, to uh, 8. Wow. Major, major blessing. So thank you for sharing that. So it's interesting when you talk about, you know, feeling, uh, what is my future going to be? And of course, that requires a lot of courage as well. Yeah, it's especially because, I mean, someone asked me um, the other day, if you could go back and give advice to your younger self, uh, what would it be? And I sat back and just wondered, if I could go back in time to myself at 22, uh, what are the things that I would really need to know? And the main thing that I came up with is stop worrying uh, constantly. I, I realize how much time I've wasted worrying because I, I think I thought that if you just play out all the scenarios in your mind about the future, then you can have control over it. Uh, when in reality, uh, none of us are able to see our futures, nor should we, uh, because we're, we're being led into those futures and we're being taught to, to trust. And uh, that's part of what it means to grow into maturity. Mm -hmm. So the more I thought of it, the more I said, you know what? I wouldn't want to give myself advice 
because uh, <laughs> all of those uh, moments uh, are things that I really needed to learn mm-hmm. and, and I needed to, to go through. I always thought that. And I think that's probably especially true right now when uh, uh, people are, are just looking around and saying, I have no idea what 2021 is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's really disconcerting. Yeah. I always thought that God was more interested in doing his will in your life than showing you his will. I don't know what you think about that. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's right. Okay. I think that's right. And you, you look at um, in Job, for instance, uh, God never answers all his questions. Right. God says, I'm here. But, but don't we sit around thinking, Lord, I kind of need to hear answers about what's going on in my life. Right. That's right. And that's that's part of what the discipleship process is about. And it's it's a it's a hard one for me uh, to to realize I'm actually not in charge here. <laughs> Thank you for reminding uh, me of that and my listeners of that today. Russell, you've been an absolute delight. Thank you for writing this book and thank you for agreeing to do the show. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Always a you joy. Bet. You bet. Dr. Russell Moore has been my guest. His book is called The Courage to Stand facing your fear without losing your soul. That wraps up our show for the day. Thanks so much for listening and uh, supporting Faith Radio. Have a great night, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.